Welcome back, everybody. This is uh, Seed Wars number 14, and today we're looking at the Devil's Apple. If you've seen the last couple lectures, then you understand what's going on at this point. We've got into some very unusual theories about the garden, and definitely uh, controversial material to say the least. We're trying to stack up as much evidence as we can to support this theory. I realize there's going to be a lot of naysayers, understandably so, and that's okay. You know, this isn't a popularity contest for me. This is a genuine, authentic search for truth and trying to discern what took place. And when I consider the fact that there are secret occult societies today who have rituals that are based around Cain and Tubal Cain and who claim that they're part of a divine royal bloodline that goes all the way back to the beginning. When I put that into context with what we're espousing, it doesn't seem so far-fetched any longer. Especially when you consider the fact that almost every ancient culture talks about some type of Nephilim beings or gods or even serpent beings, the man-dragons of ancient history, like the ones we see here on the right, the sculptures of these reptilian lizard people, like the Hopi Indians described, or the Mayans had Quasicotl, the feathered serpent gods. And, and so you begin to realize that it's... Uh, it's not a figment of people's imaginations. And that the Bible is attempting to reveal it to us in a very mysterious way. But it requires a great deal of digging in order to uncover it all. And I think one of the things that have, has always appalled people of this theory that I've shared with others is the idea of Eve, you know, having sexual relations with this being. It's a disgusting and revolting thought that God's creation would participate in that. But now, after looking more diligently at this mandrake, the mandragon plant, it becomes evident that Eve didn't participate in that, but rather she was truly beguiled. The serpent tricked her into eating the love apple. She had no idea when she ate that love apple that it was going to lead to something far more nefarious. Had she had any idea, she would have never done it. And so once you establish the idea that Eve didn't voluntarily sleep with a serpent being, that she was deceived, beguiled, tricked into doing it, had no idea, was not in her right mind, was under the influence of mind-altering drugs to the point of being totally in a disassociative state, hypnotized, then that becomes a little bit more palatable. And I think maybe that's exactly what happened. See, Adam and Eve, they remind me a lot of, like, teenagers. They're young, they're naive. They don't know, really, 
Well, teenagers know right from wrong, but naive people, ignorant people, they don't understand what they're necessarily getting into because they're naive. They, they're, they're ignorant to it. I was like this when I was young. My father was a drinker. Good man, but he drank a lot, and he had a liquor cabinet, and he told me not to mess with it. Exactly the way that God the Father told his children not to mess with the tree. And my dad knew why he didn't want me to mess with it, because he knew if I drank the alcohol that I would end up doing something that I would regret. See, the alcohol was the vehicle by which, the mechanism by which I would then enter into a different state of mind. And it's a state of mind that can get me into trouble. I think that's exactly what we're dealing with here in the garden. God didn't want them to eat of the fruit because he knew that the fruit, that's exactly analogous to why you tell your 13-year-old don't go in there and start drinking your vodka because you know darn well something bad's going to happen if he starts drinking that vodka. That's He's not mature enough to handle that situation. And so, like all young teenagers, or most, should I say, not all, but most, I was curious, and so... One day I decided I'd start taking a few swigs off of uh, the Southern Comfort in my dad's liquor cabinet. And lo and behold, I proved him right. I was not responsible enough for that because I went on a pretty intense experience that included a blackout drunk experience. The kind you wake up the next morning and go, whoa, what happened? Just a blurred image. And... The people who were around at the time said that I did quite a bit of interesting things, and they could have gotten me to do anything they wanted. And so I imagine this is a lot how it was for Eve. She also was curious. She also wanted to find out what the tree of knowledge was like. And she just needed a little push. And the serpent was there. He was a wise being, and he was able to beguile her into eating the fruit. That's the deception, is he tricked her into eating the fruit. Once that happened, all bets are off now, because we know that that fruit has highly potent, hallucinogenic, hypnotic, disassociative properties in which now the Nakash can do any single thing that he wants. We can't know exactly what happened after that she ate that love apple, but I think the evidence is starting to stack up that something of a sexual nature happened. She would have never consented to that if she was in her right mind, but unfortunately she wasn't in her right mind. She did disobey God. He knew if she ate of the fruit that she could be manipulated into doing things that she would not ordinarily do. And so as a consequence, we see the Proto-Evangelium in the very next verse, the seed of the woman versus the seed of the serpent. And I'd say 99% of the biblical population and Christians spiritualize that verse. They, they love to say that the seed of the woman is a literal seed line that leads to Jesus Christ, but the seed of the serpent is a spiritual seed line. 
And in my opinion, that's not very good hermeneutics because you can't make half the prophecy literal and then spiritualize the other half. Either both are spiritual prophecies or both are literal prophecies, in my estimation. And we know that the seed of the woman is a literal prophecy that leads all the way down through uh, David and all the way up to Jesus. And so the other one is literal too. It's a literal bloodline. It goes all the way through to the man of sin, the man of lawlessness in the last days. And so this explains why we have today these satanic Luciferian organizations who claim that they belong to a divine bloodline. They call themselves the bloodlines of the Illuminati. They claim to date back from all of the ancient kings and queens of antiquity, the Merovingians and all of the different royalty and these bloodlines have always kept it within the family so that they could concentrate and purify their genetics. And they've always reigned supreme over the planet since day one. And they continue to reign supreme today. And that explains why we see all of the symbology in the occult with the serpents, we see all of the dragon symbols on the coat of arms and all of the different flags and um, it goes on and on and on and on. And so if that's true, if there is this other race, this seed of the serpent race that exists on planet Earth who take on human form but ultimately are not fully human, then there should be some some stories in the Bible that that would demonstrate this notion. And by the way, these Luciferian groups make it clear they do satanic rituals, they they you know abduct human beings, children, and they kill them and eat their flesh, drink their blood. They claim that the blood gives them life, that they consume the soul energy of their victims, that they um, are, you know, they, they pursue the adrenochrome and the other chemicals, the other endorphins, the dopamine and things that are in the blood. And, and this gives them power and the ability to hold human form and so on and so forth. And so if this is true, then we should expect to have some understanding of this within the scripture and there are some areas that actually go into these kind of details and that's what we're going to take a look at today the first one we're going to look at is in the book of Micah where Micah describes some very interesting things now before we move on I just want to take a moment to say something if you're struggling with this garden situation and the seed of Cain being from the enemy. Either way, we're going to see the seed of the serpent get picked up somewhere. Because later, three chapters later in Genesis 6, we see the fallen angels sleep with the women again. And they produce the Nephilim. 
And there are many people that believe that that's the origin of the seed of the serpent that is started in Genesis 6. Now, I believe it started three chapters later with a different fallen angel and a different woman. We just happen to know their names. One's called Lucifer and the other Eve. That's really a, a moot point, in, in, in my opinion. Now, if you don't believe in the, the Nephilim of Genesis 6, then that, that brings a whole level of problems with, with moving forward because then you can't receive really anything to do with the seed of the serpent. And so if that's, if that's your current stance, then my challenge to you would be to go to the Days of Noah series and watch the first four or five 30-minute lectures because I think they do a reasonable job at um, clarifying that point. And so wherever you are on the fence right now, if you're with me, it happened right out of the gate, Genesis 3, right from the very beginning, the Nakash found a way to get into the genetics. Or if you're a Genesis 6 guy or gal, and you think that it all began when the fallen angels descended on Mount Hermon and took the women and they got into the, the, gene, the human genome at that time, that doesn't really matter, ultimately. I mean, it really doesn't. And so um, understand that moving forward here, we're going to look at an, account, at an account in Micah. And this is about this seed line, this Nephilim seed line. But before we look at Micah, I want to I want to look at the word mandrake one more time. The Hebrew word for mandrake is dwade. Strong 1736, right up here, dwade. It means a love apple and to boil something. That's an interesting second definition, to boil something. In fact, it derives from the word dwad, which is a little more specific. That's a boiling pot or a kettle or a cauldron. Now, if you know anything about witches, they're always doing their potions in a cauldron. And that's what we're going to see here in Micah 3. We're going to see an account of witchcraft, but not in the way that most of you and most of the world are thinking about it. Today, when we think of witchcraft, we think of Aleister Crowley, we think of Wicca, we think of the people in the occult, we think of the people who are into paganism and Mother Earth and nature, and that's all true. That That's the modern version of, of witchcraft, but it's not the ancient original version of witchcraft. The original witches and warlocks were Nephilim, Canaanites from the seed of the serpent who were not fully human and of the race of Adam. And they are the original witches and wizards and warlocks. Now, over time, their legend and mythos has turned more into what we have today, which is a very watered-down version of occultism that human beings are practicing. And so understand that when we read this account, we're not talking about today's witches. We're talking about the real deal, Nephilim, hybrid, cannibal, blood-drinking, uh, reptilian serpent seed, okay? So in Micah 3, and I said, Here I pray ye, O heads of Jacob and princes of the house of Israel, 
Is it not for you to know judgment who hate the good and love evil? So we're dealing with people who hate good and love evil. Who pluck off the skin from off of them and their flesh from off their bones. Verse 3, who also eat the flesh of my people. See that? God's people. People made in his image, his likeness. Whatever, whatever group we're talking about here, they're eating the flesh of God's people. And they flay their skin from off them and they break their bones and chop them into pieces and put them in a pot and the flesh within the cauldron. I mean, can there be any question what we're reading here? This is a full-blown ritual in the middle of the night where entities have gathered around and they've got some of God's people and they're skinning them and pulling their flesh off the bones and throwing it into a pot to make a stew. The same way that people do to chickens. We got people today that, that do that to chickens. They skin them, pluck them, pull their flesh off, throw it all in a pot and make a, make a chicken stew. Only this group of entities was doing it to human beings. And later in the verses here, we see verse six, therefore night shall be unto you that ye shall not have a vision and it shall be dark to you that you shall not divine and the sun shall go down over the prophets and the day shall be dark over them. So we're dealing with visions, diviners, verse seven, then all the seers will be ashamed and the diviners confounded. We're dealing with this whole group of diviners. See, that's what the Nakash means, a diviner. And he's the one who produces this wicked seed line who will continue to participate in witchcraft and divination throughout all of the Old Testament stories. So there's a couple connections we should make here. Number one, notice the word cauldron. They put the flesh in the pot known as a cauldron. And as we said previously, that the word cauldron is the word duad, a kettle or a cauldron. And from that word comes duade, the love apple that you boil in a cauldron. And so we see a direct linkage between the cauldron and the mandrake plant that the ancient lizard mandragons used for preparation to affect human beings. The other thing that I would point out is that we have to understand that in the original garden account, the Adamites were not meat eaters. They were vegetarians. That's why God provided them all of the seed bearing plants and trees that produced fruits and things. That's what sustained them. That God's original plan was not to kill all the animals and eat them. However, when Satan found a way to enter into the, the planet with his own seed line, they brought much change. They were cannibals, blood drinkers. They did kill animals and eat meat. And as the Adamites and this other seed line began to mingle to some degree, we began to see the crossover where now all people on the planet are eating flesh. 
And of course, we know that prior to the flood, there was a full-blown corruption of everything on the planet that pretty much Noah and his immediate family were just about the only Adamites left. Everything else had been contaminated. Many of the animals as well. They were mixing the breeds of animals with other animals and making chimera species. And so that's why God sent the flood. He sent the flood to judge the world, to destroy all of the genetic contamination. God's the one who chose the male and female animals that were still made after their own likeness and after their own kind. And he brought them to Noah and his family and he preserved them through the flood to start over. But it's after the flood now that we see that God gives man a concession and allows them to start eating meat. And you have to ask yourself why. Why prior to that was did God not condone meat eating and then after the flood he does? And the only logical explanation is because of what happened with this seed line. They introduced it to humanity. It's now within the consciousness of humanity to eat meat. And so God gave him a concession and allowed meat eating to take place after the flood. Now, we just reviewed the account in Micah that talks about these entities who are flaying the skin and, and throwing the flesh in a pot, eating God's people. We put it in context that this is a, a serpent seed, um, Canaanite, Nephilim, hybridized group of entities. And now when you put that in context of the symbology, notice what, what you notice about each of these witches. Whenever you do a literature search on the ancient witches, you'll always find that they have this reptilian green color and that they're not fully human. They have these weird human-like features, but they're clearly non-human entities. And that puts things into a whole different perspective. See, we've turned it into mythology. We have all these green characters. Nobody's ever been able to explain why or what the origin of these witches being green were. But in context of what we're discussing, it sounds like the reason that they're portrayed as green today is because there's some truth in that. They come back from this reptilian serpent seed line. And it's true of the witches on the flying brooms, which we reviewed in the last lecture. The mandrake plants, the hensbane and the belladonna, they're aphrodisiacs. They, they, they create a situation of eroticism. And so history reveals that they were using these in sexual ways. And since they also work on the pineal gland, they cause astral projection and, and levitation and things like that. That's where this connotation of the witch on the flying broom. Now notice these entities are not human. Big noses, pointy ears, weird human-like features, but they're clearly non-human. You say, well, why do they look human? Well, they're hybrids. Whether you're with the Genesis 3 conspiracy that Eve and the Nakash produced the serpent seed line, and so they have half of their genes from Eve, which would is why they're shaped like humans. They have eyes and ears and mouth and noses and arms and legs like a human being, but yet they're clearly demonic non-human entities. Or whether you're more of a Genesis 6 person 
who says, well, it's the, the fallen angels who slept with the women in Genesis 6, same thing. Those women they slept with in Genesis 6 provided half the chromosomes. And so naturally, these entities have human qualities, but they're not fully human because the other half of chromosomes came from the serpent seed line. And I don't mean to beat a dead horse, but as I've said before, whether it's the fallen angel Lucifer sleeping with the human being we know of as Eve, or if that's too personal for you, then you can accept the unnamed fallen angels who slept with the unnamed women in Genesis 6. Either way, same story. We see the same symbolism for warlocks. A warlock is an ancient male witch or demon connected to Satan and also associated with giants, interestingly enough, and cannibalism. And we see a lot of warlocks today in different um, occult games like Dungeons and Dragons, and they always display interesting features, reptilian features. Often they have wings because they come from fallen angels. Here's a warlock on the far right. You can see that it has a lizard reptilian quality to it. And naturally, people say, well, that's just, you know, the people who made the games, that, that was just using their imagination. But was it really? Maybe there's more truth to it than most people know. Maybe the reason all these creatures are depicted as demonic with abnormal features and that green reptilian color is because they're really part of a reptilian serpent seed line, exactly as the scripture alludes to. So let's take a look at what Hollywood has to say about it, because as I've demonstrated in the Days of Noah series, there is a tremendous amount of predictive programming, subliminal programming all throughout television. People think of this as science fiction, but a lot of times it really is more science fact. So if there's really this serpent seed line, let's let's look at some movies. The first one of interest would be Rosemary's Baby. Now this was what they refer to as a classic horror film produced in 1968 by a very deep occultist by the name of Roman Polanski. Now I did a really interesting video in the Days of Noah series on Roman Polanski on how um, art imitates life, that in real life, Roman Polanski was a struggling producer who ended up joining a satanic coven. And then in order to gain power and notoriety, he ended up allowing the Manson family to sacrifice his wife, Sharon Tate, who was pregnant with her eight and a half month child. And oddly enough, about 18 months before this event transpired, we see the movie Rosemary's Baby, which coincidentally is about a struggling actor-producer who joins a satanic coven and is attempting to produce the, the child of Satan or the Antichrist. So there's some very strange and deep connections uh, between the two. Also in that video, we connect it to 
John Lennon and the Beatles, Aleister Crowley. It's a very, um, we very complicated web of people entangled within that story. And I'll leave that video in the description box for those who care to go back and, and look at that. But what's interesting in this movie is, is that in Rosemary's Baby, one of the women who are in the Satanic Coven, the elderly neighbor by the name of Minnie, she gives a pendant, a talisman, to Rosemary. She refers to it as a good luck charm. And within that magic pendant contains a special root called Tannis root. Now I want you to really keep all this in context of what we've described recently with the mandrake root and how it's an aphrodisiac, how it prepares women for to open up their womb and, and prepares them for getting pregnant and, and puts them in a hypnotic state so that they can be taken advantage of, so on and so forth. So in the movie, Rosemary's husband, Guy, who, by the way, is also part of the coven, she doesn't know it, of course, she's the unsuspecting and naive wife, kind of like Eve, has no idea, she's naive, that her husband is in this coven. And on the night that they plan to conceive a child, the neighbor Minnie just happens to come over and force Rosemary into eating a cup of chocolate mousse. And Rosemary complains that it has a chalky undertaste because she, uh, Minnie has smuggled some of this tannis root capsules. She's broke them up and smuggled it into the chocolate mousse and Rosemary's able to detect something odd about it. Well, after she eats the chocolate mousse with the tannis root, she passes out. And she experiences a very vivid, dreamlike vision, like a lucid dream. And in this dream state, a demonic entity rapes her and impregnates her as her husband and the other satanic coven, the tenants next door, are all nude and watching. Now, this has some striking comparisons to what we've been talking about. We see all of the properties here. Rosemary's the naive woman. Um, Guy is the one who's going to take advantage of her. They give her a special root or herb that puts her in a transcendental hypnotic state, a dreamlike state. And then while she's in this dreamlike state, she's not able to do anything about it. But a demonic entity rapes her and impregnates her with a seed. Now, the next morning when she wakes up, her body's covered in scratches, indicating that it was more than just a vision that it actually happened. But because of the Tannis root, she interpreted it as a vision. Later, her husband Guy said that he raped her while she was unconscious because he didn't want to miss out on baby night. Later in the movie, she discovers that she actually gives birth to the Antichrist, Satan's son, a literal seed. Now, there's obviously some uncanny similarities to the story of the mandrake plant and Eve. And when you look at the cover of the movie, you notice that, of course, Rosemary here has this blank stare on her face because she's in this hypnotic trance 
And then, of course, we see that the whole film cover is reptilian green. What are they implying here? They're implying that she's going to give birth to this serpent seed line. Now, most people are going to say that Roman Polanski just has a overactive imagination. But coincidentally, he's deeply into the occult. He's part of the Hollywood elite satanic Luciferian underground. And we know what the origin of the occult is. It goes all the way back to the original Nakash, the diviner, the soothsayer who puts a spell on you. And so I would say that it's not the product of an overactive imagination. This is the same Roman Polanski who later would have to flee the United States for raping a young girl. And he was able to avoid extradition over in Europe for 20 or 30 years. Now, a really fascinating detail is when you start to unpack this Tannis root. Turns out that there really is nothing that we're aware of that is the Tannis root. It's a fictional herb. But actually, I would say that it's not so fictional. It's very analogous to the mandrake root. We know that the mandrake root means the man-dragon root. The word drake in the Webster's Dictionary means an archaic ancient serpent or dragon. And so the mandrake root is the man-dragon root. Well, it turns out that the tannis root used in Rosemary's baby actually derives from the Bible. It derives from the Hebrew word tan, T-A-N, Strong's 8565. And that word tan means dragon. And in fact, this is where we get the word tanin, Strong's 8577, which is in reference in the Old Testament to a serpent being or a large sea monster or dinosaur. This is the concept in the Bible, especially in the book of Job, where it talks about different large entities describing reptilian creatures. They're called tanin. And also, interestingly enough, we see that there are some ancient goddesses. For example, Tanith. She was known as the great Phoenician goddess of carnage. The Phoenicians were the Canaanites. They were the serpent seed line, the Nephilim seed. Now, Tanith was known as the sky goddess who ruled over the sun, the stars, and the moon. And she was also the mother goddess who ancients used to invoke for purposes of fertility and getting pregnant. Her primary symbols include the pomegranate, which we've reviewed in the past. The pomegranate is represents fruitfulness and fertility. And this Greek goddess Tanith translates as the serpent goddess or the serpent lady. Now, archaeologists have identified Tanith as being also Astarte or Ashtaroth. That's the female goddess we see mentioned in the Bible. Later, she's called Ishtar or Isis in Egyptology or Semiramis. It's all the same entity, just different names depending on which culture you're dealing with. But this serpent lady, Tanith, or Ashtaroth, she was the female consort to Baal Hammon, or Moloch, 
who was the ancient Phoenician sun god that we see in the Old Testament, that they were passing their sons and daughters through the fire and doing all of the occult rituals too. And so again, we see in this movie, they use the Tannis root, and the Tannis root is really just a reference to the mandrake plant and the idea of this seed of the serpent reptilian race that took advantage of a young woman, an Adamite, in order to produce a hybrid strain. And they did it by using mind-altering drugs. Now, in the final scene of Rosemary's Baby, she identifies her child, who one of the members of the coven says, he has his father's eyes. And they quickly flash to an image of the child, and you can clearly see a reptilian eye. And of course, Rosemary is completely shocked out of her mind. This brings up an interesting verse in Matthew where Jesus says that the light, the light of the body is the eye. And many of us have heard the expression that the eyes are the windows to the soul, that you can see the soul of a person through their eyes. See, Jesus says that the light of the body is the eye. And if therefore thine eye be single, that word single means to be whole, to be good, then the whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, what would an evil eye look like? A dark eye, a black eye, a, an eye that appears to be soulless. But if thy eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. And if therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, then how great is that darkness? That's an interesting question that Jesus asks. If the light that is in thee be darkness, how can light be darkness? We're talking about the dark light. That's a concept that we saw in the Days of Noah series when, when we were looking at the Brotherhood of Saturn. How they talked about the dark light and that it was more powerful than the true light. If the light be in darkness, Jesus asks, how great is that darkness? And based on some of the things we're looking at now, it appears that the darkness is greater than the vast majority of the population really understand. We also see a lot of interesting symbolism in werewolves and vampires. Now we're going to do an entire lecture on vampires when we look at Vlad the Impaler. But werewolves are also fascinating. They're known as lycanthropy, and it involves humans, or at least those who appear to be human, who shapeshift into werewolves. And this is stuff that superstitions have existed for centuries. The word lycanthropy derives from the Greek word lycos, meaning wolf, and anthropos, meaning human-like. And legend has it that they come out during the full moon. That also happens to be when all of the witchcraft is taking place. And these creatures desire human flesh and human blood. And it turns out that the origin of lycanthropy goes back at least to the 2nd century BC 
to a famous Greek writer known as Pisanius. He tells a story of King Lycan of Arcadia, who was transformed into a werewolf because he had sacrificed a child on the altar of Zeus. Now, in the days of Noah's series, multiple times we clearly reveal that all of Greek mythology, all of the chimera animals, all of the different uh, demigods, half-human, half-gods like Hercules, those are all just retellings, stories and retellings of the pre-flood world with the Nephilim. And so whenever we look at Greek mythology, we have to put it through the context of the Nephilim. And that's really what we're dealing with here once again, these entities who are able to shapeshift. And we've connected Zeus multiple times in the scripture to Satan himself. And it's interesting, we also see stories of werewolves being described by the famous Roman poet Ovid. And he talks about werewolves in his famous book, Metamorphoses. Interesting name, Metamorphoses. That means shapeshifters. Paul uses a similar word when he talks about Lucifer in the New Testament. He says that Lucifer can present himself as an angel of light. And that word present is metaschizmatia. It means to shape himself into an angel of light, that he can manipulate his appearance. And of course, the Roman poet Ovid, when he's talking about these werewolves and these metamorphoses, it involves the stories of the Greek gods and the Greek titans. And so, it, it often one makes me wonder if there isn't more truth to these beings than what history would reveal, that, that these were really this serpent seed line who have the ability to shapeshift into different entities. Well, what does Hollywood have to say about it? We have movies like The Omen, where you see here a human-looking boy who's able to hold human form, but then it shows his shadow here that really he's a werewolf in disguise. And of course, his name is Damien, which means demon, and he is a literal seed that was born that will give rise to the Antichrist. He is a, a literal seed of this serpent strain. We see this in the movie Warlock. Here we see it says, he comes from the past to destroy the future. Warlock, Satan also has one son. See, the movie is espousing that there is a seed of Satan, a seed of the serpent. And that's exactly what the Bible says. People want to spiritualize that application. They've never given the possibility that it could be a literal interpretation that right after the garden when it says there's a seed of a woman and a seed of a serpent that that could potentially be a literal seed line notice here warlock is pure evil we see a human looking man but notice he's casting the shadow of a fallen angelic possibly reptilian looking being and so we have to ask ourselves is this all imagination or is perhaps 
some of this actually true? And naturally, they always include the little occult things like the triangle in the corner. We know how powerful that is. Here in this image, he has light emanating out of him because Lucifer is the light bearer who casts, who, who casts the false light. We see the lightning bolts. Jesus said, I saw Lucifer fall like lightning from the sky. And we know that Zeus and Thor and many of those other characters are represented by the lightning bolt. And then, of course, they include the word Armageddon, which is a biblical concept regarding the end of times when Christ comes back to deal with the beast system. And for those of you who say that these movies are just science fiction, they don't have any power, there's no demonic power in them, then take a look at this incident here. A teen says that Warlock drove him to murder. Did a horror film spark a brutal child slaying? July 1st, 1996. Here's an image of a boy, 14 years old, by the name of Sandy Charles. And it turns out that Sandy Charles lured another seven-year-old boy named Fimson into the woods near his home, where he brutally stabbed him to death and then crushed his skull repeatedly with a 12-pound rock. Then, mimicking a ritual that he saw in the 1991 movie Warlock, Charles cut and tore 15 strips of Thimpson's body, and he boiled the flesh into liquid fat inside of a pot or a cauldron. After his arrest, Charles told police that he was in the thrall of spirits when he committed the murder. Quote, I started thinking about killing, and something wanted me to do it. Turns out that Charles had been deeply affected by the movie Warlock, which he had watched at least 10 times before the killing. Charles later said that he believed that he would become a son of the devil and would be able to fly if he drank the boiled fat of an unbaptized male child. And so that is a sick and grotesque account that clearly was inspired by the movie. I would say that there was probably no one praying for this child. He maybe didn't know anything about Christ. Maybe his parents weren't filled with the Holy Spirit. And so there was no supernatural protection for him. His parents allowed him to indulge in these movies over and over and over, combined with this atheistic worldview. And then the movie's charged. These movies are charged, charged talisman, so to speak. And, and so something demonic got a hold of him and used him as a vessel to murder this seven-year-old boy. And we see these same themes over and over. He cut his body into pieces and he wanted to cannibalize it. He cooked it inside of a pot the way witches would do. And isn't it interesting that he would become a son of the devil if he drank the boiled fat of an unbaptized male child. See, because a baptized male child would have some spiritual covering of the Holy Spirit. And so that would not have been a pro uh, an adequate sacrifice. 
This also brings to mind the movie Slender Man. We did a video on that in the days of Noah's series about how that movie also led to multiple murders. So as you can see, Hollywood is full of this concept, this seed of the serpent concept. Perhaps that's why in the video by Katy Perry called Extraterrestrial, where she has sex with an alien and undergoes genetic modification and hybridization, the later in the video, they show a couple of flash images of Katy Perry with reptilian eyes, exactly like the one we see in Rosemary's Baby, exactly like the one we see on a crocodile right here. And we did a very interesting lecture on this video, Extraterrestrial, in the Days of Noah series, and I'll include that in the description box. That's, that's definitely one worth watching. There's a lot of deep symbolism within that video. And that brings us to the modern UFO era. We've done lectures in the past conclusively proving this is a spiritual phenomenon. These are fallen angels and demons. That there are people on the planet who claim that they've been abducted and had their genetic reproductive material hybridized with the extraterrestrials. And then later, these people are taught how to telepathically communicate with their hybrid children through guided meditation. And that these people are being prepared for this hybrid reptilian race that's going to come back to help out humanity in the last days when we're on the point on the brink of destruction. And these women draw images of their children with reptilian eyes. And they describe reptilian beings that have abducted them and that communicate with them through the pineal gland. And again, you say, well, this is just a lot of overactive imagination. But is it really? Could something deeper be going on? Something that's been shrouded from humanity? That's the question of the ages. And what are we to make of all of the different testimonies that exist today? People like Arizona Wilder and Kathy O'Brien, who claim that there's an Illuminati group, a race of entities controlling the planet, steering us towards the new world order and the mark of the beast system who appear to be human, but they've actually witnessed these human beings shape shift at satanic rituals and cannibalize human beings for satanic ritual abuse. Again, are these people deluded? That's a question that you have to answer for yourself. I will leave a brief 20-minute video of Arizona Wildler in the description box. I strongly recommend that you watch her testimony because she goes into great detail of what she has witnessed in some of these rituals. And she describes some of the shape-shifting events. And so as you can see, the plot thickens. And it appears that the rabbit hole goes much deeper than we could have ever imagined.
And so I'll leave you with this final thought. Could this be what the Bible is describing? When it says that the serpent went into the garden and beguiled Eve. And as a consequence, we see the seed of the serpent brought out in Genesis 3. And then later in Genesis 6, the fallen angels begin to sleep with the women. And all throughout the Old Testament, we're told of different giant races and different beings who are trying to destroy God's people. Has all of that vanished into antiquity? Or is it possible that they've been able to preserve themselves and do it in secrecy? Is this who Jesus was talking about when he told the religious leaders that they were hypocrites, which the word means play actor, someone who's put on a costume and pretending to be something that they're not. The same group of people, I might add, that he said are going to go to hell, that are going to burn in hell. And he actually referred to them as a generation of vipers. That actually translates as a seed of a serpent. Was he just using euphemistic language when he called him that? Or did the Son of God know that they were really something else? Well, that'll be for you to decide on your own. We'll continue to unpack this as the lectures go on. And so on that note, Godspeed, and we'll see you on the next one.